This is Entrepreneurs Expos. We speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Today is round two with future of work expert Connie Steele. Connie is also the author of Building the Business of You, a system to align passion and growth potential through your own career mashup. This is the first book to help professionals and entrepreneurs navigate the new world of work while aligning personal purpose and professional advancement. Did you know that 64% of millennials have a side hustle? That number is a whopping 70% for Gen Zers. We explore what this means for the future of work, as well as other great topics, including the current state of the job market, how employers should be thinking about building alignment, how employees rank what's really meaningful to them in life and their careers, and much more. So with that intro said and done, let's get right to the show. Here is round two with Connie Steele. What has happened since the last time we chatted? And do you have any new sort of forward-looking hypotheses about the future of work now that we're sort of post-pandemic? Let's hope we are, at least. You know, we had done research last year, and we have actually a new wave of research that will be coming out to really understand what do workers want and what do they need to be successful in this new world of work? One key thing that came out is that our attitudes have fundamentally changed. And you see this in other studies, too, which is great to have it continually confirmed. But our attitude towards work and career, it's, it's about integration, flexibility, individuality, and ongoing development. So we found that 62% of workers, and this is specifically U.S. workers, but they agree that work and career are integrated into their personal life. Now, that's a pretty big shift because 10 years ago... I think so many people can say that there was a work life and we had to keep that separate in many instances from our home life. But obviously with the pandemic, those two came colliding. And quite honestly, those generations who are just entering the workforce or those who have been in the workforce, say for five to 10 years, have always known work and life to be integrated because they're just digital natives. You know, they're everything they do professionally and personally, are on their phones or on their digital devices. So you can't separate that anymore. The other piece is people realize that I can now work effectively from wherever I am. And you've seen the growth in digital nomadism and people pursuing that because they know if they have internet connection, a laptop, they can get things done. Skill development, right? What organizations need is constantly evolving. People have a desire to constantly build up their skills and capabilities because they realize there is new developments happening all the time. So whether it's inside of their field or outside the field, that is critically important. But I'd say another piece also is that 52% of workers agree that their professional ambition isn't tied to being part of a company. Because we all know that when we can be who we just are, feel comfortable in our own skin, and you're seeing obviously this another trend toward people being really authentic. That's when you perform at your best. Mm-hmm. So I just threw out a lot there. No, there's a ton. And I mean, I read your report and there was some stuff about employees wanting more than just money. And you, you just mentioned it. 25% of these folks prioritize being in a field where they can channel their passion. Passion, you just mentioned. I think passion is a big one. 
What does this mean for employers? How do they navigate this? So one key thing to acknowledge, or at least to recognize, I should say, among employers, right? An individual and a bunch of individuals make up a company. They're going to be fluid in what it is they want and what it is they need and how they're going to go about doing it. So how do you deal with now a fluid, ultimately, organization that's going to be constantly changing? Help them understand and map out their career plan. Because once you are aligned, fundamentally, people want to be aligned with something they feel they have a common mission, vision, and purpose towards. And you see that with many workers choosing to join a company or leave a company because they don't feel that there are shared values. They don't have a shared mission, shared purpose, and and to some degree, an alignment on the way they want to go about doing it. So for employers, and this comes down to, honestly, the manager too, understand your team, understand the people that work on your team, understand where their strengths and areas of development are, but also on a higher order, understand what it is they're trying to achieve, not just within your organization and there's alignment there, but what did they want to achieve personally? And I know that may sound somewhat simple and high level, but let's remember, people want to feel that they can contribute. They want to feel that there's that sense of belonging. They want to feel that they are valued. So if there isn't this mutual value exchange, again, on a human level where the manager and the employee discuss what can we each do together such that there is a mutual benefit, it's going to be hard to force somebody to do something that they are not feeling that they can do their best work. Now, you know, there has been this power shift towards the employee. I know in light of these recessions, there are many organizations that believe there's going to be a shift back to the employer. But what's interesting that in the data that's out there, in the Bureau of Labor Statistics in particular, but there is actually a worker shortage. So do you feel like the power shift is already in motion back to the employer? Do you think we're somewhere in the middle? Or do you still think like employees have this upper hand? I still think employees will have an upper hand. There are certain industries, obviously you're seeing technology, right? Where there was massive hiring. And to some degree, I think there might've been overhiring because they were trying to scale as quickly as possible. So some of this may be just a correction, but you do have other industries that are still struggling to hire and fill necessary gaps. For example, government. Not everyone is as interested in pursuing government or manufacturing opportunities, but they have a worker shortage and need very talented people to fill those. So I eventually see it's how do you redistribute talent in ways that address some of those labor shortages that are in other industries. Now, I know that, again, whenever there are dynamics where you see these mass layoffs, Inevitably, people are also going to feel scared that they're not going to have different opportunities. However, I'm also seeing somewhat of the opposite, where there are statistics out there saying people feel quite confident. There was something I believe in LinkedIn that mentioned people feel confident that they can find another opportunity. We're also now in a world where there's a level of optionality for people in terms of the kinds of careers they can pursue that wasn't necessarily available 10 years ago. And with the rapid change in technology, there are going to be brand new opportunities that will be created in which it may need to leverage those of very interesting skill sets that, that have breadth versus depth. 
Let me ask you about this other stat that you mentioned. So 28% of employees have top priority of doing work that is considered, quote unquote, meaningful. How do employers discern whether or not these employees consider their work to be meaningful, let's say? I think it gets back to what is the mission, vision, values, and purpose of the company. And organizations, when they are clear on what they are delivering to their customers, to society at large, which is more than just profits, sales, products, what else are you doing to contribute in a way that delivers social impact? That's how you know that they're going to be addressing that level of meaning because people want to align to that. They're doing something more. So at the end of the day, every business, in my opinion, is in the business of people. People are the ones who come up with the ideas for the products, services, technologies, policies, and so forth. We're not run by sentient robots yet. So if you don't really think about again, the building blocks of an organization and how people are your greatest asset, and it's the whole person, it's going to be hard for any organization to accelerate in the way that they want to. Because we've got all these great tools and technologies. There's the expectation that we can work better, faster, cheaper. But human beings can only still work so much. You can have all these tools, but how many tools can a person really manage and keep up with? There's still a limit. I want to ask you about company culture. This sort of applies here. And specifically about this idea of running companies as pure meritocracies, right? In other words, you produce, you stay, and you get promoted. You don't produce, you go home. As we move into 2023, do you think more and more companies begin to operate purely as a meritocracy? And is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing for company culture? How do you view it? I think it'd be ideal if companies were run as a meritocracy. I don't know if organizations are structurally set up to be able to deliver on that based off of incentives, the way that their metrics are defined, and the culture of organizations as well, that if it isn't one where it's truly about the collective success and investment in the people, Inevitably, the politics come into play, which, quite frankly, are some of those challenges that happen into really being able to establish that objective recognition of people's work. I do think there's going to be more awareness of a need to establish a path towards it. I don't think it's going to necessarily happen you know, in the immediate term. I think it's going to take some time to get to a place where Collectively, people are thinking about how do we establish an environment that we focus on how do we make people successful across all levels and across all disciplines. And when we're dealing with human beings, that's not so simple. Skill development, a huge topic. You mentioned it already. As we look forward, what skills are you seeing employers demand? In other words, what skills should employees focus on developing? And what skills do you feel like are a thing of the past? So I believe relationship development, soft skills are going to be more and more important than ever. 
particularly with varying modes of workplace environment. If you see where things are going in terms of technology, so an engineer, those hard skills of development, obviously in in demand, still is, but in order for an engineer to influence and effectively change different dynamics, they're still going to need to know how to communicate. And now with low code, no code platforms, it's not the hard skill. No matter what, again, you're still dealing with people. So in order to ensure that you can create the right culture and to motivate workers for them to bring their level of creativity, ingenuity, problem solving, working together as a team, because collaboration is the way that we're all moving forward. People don't work in silos anymore. It is not a line way of working. People now have to collaborate with multiple people across different teams and functions to get something done. If that's the case, those skills of communication, persuasion, leadership, management, that all matters at every level because you're working with more and more people to get something done. Who's in trouble, do you think? If you were to describe a profile and or a resume of somebody who you believe just simply won't be in demand in the next five to 10 years, what would that profile look like? I would say someone in which their skill set from a functional perspective has been really, really narrow and deep because in order to pivot effectively and also, I think, think more expansively and know how different pieces of a business or different opportunities come together, it's really about breath. What I see is the more you know about different industries and different functions, different capabilities, the more likely that you're going to be able to understand the hybridization of all that, how you can seamlessly work together to address some of the problems that happen because they all are interconnected. But the other piece that you're then able to leverage insights, knowledge opportunities from one particular area to another, such that that will enable you to think of new ways of solving a problem. Funny enough, I actually had interviewed someone who is an expert on human ingenuity. And what he indicated, and human ingenuity is clever, inventive thinking. I didn't even know there was a discipline in it. But what he was indicating is that in order for companies to truly think differently and, and identify the world of opportunities, you need diversity of thoughts. You need diversity of experiences in the people that come together to help you address a problem because nobody has all the answers to a problem. We're working in a world with imperfect information. How do you square this with the devaluing of generalists that we've been seeing in the past? And how does this relate to the whole question of, is it better to be a specialist? Is it better to be a generalist? And or is there some other word for something that's more valuable than both of these things? Yes, there has. In the past, there was a devaluing of generalists, but I think it's actually shifting where there's actually going to be greater value in a generalist or really a utility player. I think in many organizations, what you've seen, I'm sure yourself, but you have an amazing person who you hired for a very specific role. But because so many different dynamics of your business is changing, you could see that they may have a adjacent skill set of which you realize they could leverage that talent and 
create uh, a really a better outcome or be able to work with another team to create a better outcome. Or you see, wait, there's an opportunity for you to move into this role and it as a benefit to the team. So those who are much more open and it's about aptitude versus hard skills and they're open to learning something new are the kind of folks that you want because they're going to be able to quickly adapt, grow, develop, and know how to actually create the level of deliverables and outcomes that you want. And if you also think about the new opportunities that will be created, new jobs, where it it is, again, a hybridization of different skills, disciplines, functions, and so forth, it's that person who has had that experience across those different disciplines that are going to fit. I'll give you an example. There's a woman that I had met a few years ago, and she has a background in um, machine learning, or she's a product manager, and was working on projects in which it was AI-related and machine learning-related. But she actually studied statistics in school. She has a passion for DEI. But I think she even started in. She might have had some marketing background too. But she was just saying, you know, I'm always kind of looking for new opportunities. And I found something at Spotify that was so interesting, and it had to do with algorithmic bias. And she goes, I realize that could be a perfect job for me because I have been in product management. I have done all the things, but I also have passion for DE&I and I happen to love statistics. So it's because of this breath that she has, she could bring all that to the forefront where, and this is a role where how many people could say I have 10 years of experience dealing with algorithmic bias? You don't. So that's an example where because you have been able to sample in a lot of different places, where in the past we were penalized for that, right? Like, oh, you were over here, but then you're over in this area. And I don't understand the pathing because it's been completely nonlinear. Whereas you see workers now realizing there's a huge benefit in this nonlinearity because they themselves can see the interconnectivity. They see where one area can connect to another area and deliver value. Millennials versus Gen Zers versus Gen X and boomers, let's say, let's call it those four cohorts for the purpose of this question. How do they differ in terms of growth mindset? Who over-indexes on growth mindset and who just simply misses the mark here? I'd say that two younger generations over-index more on growth mindset as a result of them also growing up in a world where they're digital natives and they've had the opportunity to constantly sample and learn and explore in a way that is not one that's about failure. It's about seeing what fits and what doesn't. I say those that are older because they grew up in a world where, and, and I happen to be a Gen Xer, but where it was much more Waterfall, let's call it, for those who know technology. and and But that sort of sequential, linear, and upward sort of career de- growth and development model. So you do A, which leads you to B, which leads you to C. And if you go off that path, you can't get back on that path. There was a very structured approach to what was successful or not. Now, I'd say Gen X are probably sort of tweeners to some degree. But if you think about the world we're in now, It's an agile world. It is one where everything is changing. It is all one big experimentation, candidly. And those that are younger have grown up in an environment in which they've had the opportunity to experiment quite a bit because of their digital devices. They're making friends. 
by figuring out if they're connecting with somebody in a virtual world, right? They're, they're building things in a way that isn't a very structured and rigid approach to things. They have that level of creativity. They're seeing it. They're seeing examples of it everywhere. So I believe, you know, again, that's some of the bifurcation that you're seeing is just some are more open to wanting to try various things. And starting small is not as intimidating to them because they're not striving for perfection yet. Where do you see millennials and Gen Zers struggle? What are the pieces that they're missing? I think this comes down to the soft skills. The pandemic certainly has had a huge impact, in particular for those who are Gen Zers. The oldest one is 23, I believe. They haven't had the opportunity to be in a workplace environment, to observe other people, to sit sort of next and be co-located, which there is value in that. It's the people stuff, not always the work. Another stat I wanted to throw at you with respect to these two cohorts, 64% of millennials have a side hustle. That number ticks up to roughly 70% for Gen Zers. Two-part question. One, is this a good thing? And two, is this something that employers need to simply accept and deal with in its reality? And how do you think it affects those employers that are really keen on building longstanding loyalty, let's say company culture, fostering an organization where people are really narrowly focused? What are your thoughts? So there's a lot in that question. <laughs> I do believe the pursuit of the side hustle, you know, it's here to stay. What we have to remember is that for millennials in particular, they came out into the work world when we were in a recession and they had gone to school. They would say they did everything right. However, they weren't able to land the opportunities that they believed they could. So they had to figure out a different way of working to create the career path that they wanted. So they, it's somewhat ingrained in them to pursue multiple avenues because they were trying to hedge against risk. I mean, they do it because they're trying to find a way to create sustainable income. Just being a certain role for the next 20, 30 years is not something any of them want to stick with. They want to have one role, learn it to a certain depth, then take that and say, oh, what's the next thing I can do? And what's the next thing I can do? Because they see they can and maybe all that rolls together into a very interesting portfolio career where they can exercise all of that. So it's not going away, particularly when you see this sort of level of uncertainty and they don't feel that they're going to be taken care of by any company. You know, they want to take control of their own pursuits. I think employers need to recognize that that's going to be happening. But the benefit of that is seeing how can they pull this side hustle or the skills from those side hustles into what it is they do for the company right now. Because that breadth, again, I've done the breadth of experience, breadth of skills could be incredibly beneficial. As we talked about before, the way people are defining success is now different. And I think that's important to take note of. Yeah. I'm just looking at this graph you guys published. It's called Success with Achieving Life Goals. The top three success with achieving life goals that you've described. Number one, spending enough time with your family. Number two, leading a fulfilling life. Number three, getting the most out of life. And then you've got percentage on the left, highly successful. 
That's the higher number percentage on the right being unsuccessful and obviously the lower number. So just say more about this graph and how it applies here. Well, what we wanted to do is understand what are people looking to achieve in their life and what's the relationship between life goals and work goals? Because I mentioned before, work and life are intertwined. And again, what you're seeing is that people's life goals ties to them finding that level of meaning and fulfillment. The life goal isn't money. The life goal isn't title. (laughs) The life goal isn't power and influence. Just gets back to, again, some of those human things that we're all looking for that passion, that purpose, that fulfillment, that contribution, that impact. So I think that's why it's important where we want to create that understanding, even though I think we all intuitively understand it, but we want to get some um, metrics around that. Yeah. And there's more metrics here. So let me just highlight those. So you say creating wealth and being prepared for retirement are still important goals for most people. Seems obvious, right? but they're prioritized significantly less and less often than family or fulfillment. So in terms of life goals, percentage ranked as a priority, as a top three priority, in fact, number one is spending enough time with your family. Number two, leading a fulfilling life. Number three, getting the most out of life. Number four, helping others. Number five, ensuring your life has a purpose. Number six, here we go, creating wealth. So creating wealth is still on this list, perhaps not ranked the way listeners would probably assume it would be. Right. It's actually on the lower end. But when you think about everything that's happened over the past couple of years, folks have recognized that life could end tomorrow, right? You know, that uh, we are mortal. And at the end of the day, what matters most? So This actually gets back to the point of how people are looking at their relationship with work a bit differently. Time is short. How can they feel that what they're doing professionally aligns with what they want to get out of their life personally? No matter what level you're at, I think everybody's really thought about that. It's a question of what does it look like in terms of how you implement it? for each person and where they are in their life stage. I think another thing we all can recognize is that depending on where you are in your life, if you're just starting out in your career, you've got different goals. Your life goals are fundamentally different than somebody who is, say, 55. That has a factor into what they deem as important and what they want to do at work and what they want to get out of work. We pretty much had incentivized everybody in the same way. Folks want to be acknowledged for that now. On that note, Gen Zs and millennials obviously have different priorities than boomers and Gen Xers. It's obvious. And I'm just curious, as we look forward into you know remote work versus in-person versus hybrid, we would assume Gen Zers and millennials want to prioritize in-person work because that's where they build relationships. That's where they get mentored. That's where they socialize. That's where they meet a mate, something to that effect. Whereas it's less of a priority for Gen Xers, certainly less of a priority for boomers. So how do employers navigate these models? And the reason I ask is because the previous guest that we just had on the show, who's in a similar line of work, but slightly different to you, owns a HR AI software recruiting company. And she was saying that, in fact, companies will need to choose whether or not they invest in a fully remote model an in-person model 
but they won't be able to do a hybrid because the research has shown that when companies try and do both and invest in both, they simply fail at both. And it's hard to run an organization that way where you're hybrid. Definitely very difficult to create the culture that you want. So just curious, what are you seeing? So I don't know if we know exactly if it's all remote or all in person. I believe that people want choice. And if you're going to force one or the other, you're going to find people who are going to pretty much balk at that. For those starting off in their career, yes, there you see a greater um, interest or pull towards wanting to potentially start in an environment in which it's in person, you know, going back to the office because they are missing that human connection because they didn't have it for a while. But as they progress through their career and they potentially may have children or other commitments, having the flexibility of being at home is going to become more important. So they may shift out of really wanting that. And if you are a company in which you have four different generations in the workplace, you're never going to satisfy anyone. And when you have people wanting to have a choice because they know that being in the office for a certain period of time helps them build those connections. But the other part of the time, being remote enables them in combination to perform at their best. It's going to be really hard to force somebody in one path or the other because what has been shown is that people can do it and many have done it very well. So to force them back into one or the other, I believe, is going to be really hard. And I look at it, it gets back to a human, a person wants to have the ability to have some flexibility and control. They now have had the opportunity to have it and to take that back is going to be tough. Looking ahead, let's say into 2023, 2024, what are the top three major trends that you're seeing as it relates to both your research and the future of work? Some I've already talked about, but I think this continual trend towards flexibility and agility is expected and required as an individual and an organization. Again, we talk about where, when, how we work, what we work on. It's just going to continue to be fluid versus rigid and growing versus fixed. You know, And that applies to us as workers and as leaders. I think a recognition that the best talent isn't and can't be limited to those who are just pursuing full-time work or come from certain industries or experiences. It's really because of these breadth and depth of skills and abilities that they're going to be the ones who are going to be prepared to take advantage of the new opportunities that don't even exist yet. So, you know, when you think of really this aptitude over direct check the box experience is going to be incredibly valuable because it's needed to adjust and adapt to the pace of technological and economic change, the growth of independence, right? So in order for organizations to move at the pace that they want to, because you're going to have to scale up and down, left and right, and you don't know exactly when, but onboarding independents who have that skill and ability is going to enable organizations and companies to achieve that speed to market that they want faster. So the composition of your workforce can't just be all full-time if you want to hit the goals that you want. I think another piece really from an individual level, it's workers are going to continue to evaluate success by more than just traditional monetary productivity metrics. It's about life success. Life success will matter just as much as 
work and career success and honestly, probably more. We're still dealing with turbulent times, right? It's going to continue to happen. And there's this shift to wanting to do better, being better, and trying to find that level of balance. And that's a priority versus moving up the ladder and achieving those milestones around compensation and title. And you see this pursuit of greater well-being, purpose, and find that level of happiness and and contentment. And so I think that's just going to only continue to be on the forefront of workers' minds. Totally makes sense. Connie, it's awesome to have you back on the show. If folks want to listen to more of your stuff, I encourage them to go back. You were on the show about a year ago when we were in mid-pandemic. So lots of interesting perspectives from that episode, but certainly a fantastic one. Your book, Building the Business of You, encourage folks to check that out. Your podcast, the Strategic Momentum Podcast, where else can people find you? Well, please connect with me on LinkedIn. You can also look me up at ConnieWSteel.com. Connie, thanks so much for coming on once again. Great to chat with you. Great chatting with you too. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash E2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interview. Electric Acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast. ElectroCast.